0: So one story we were talking about earlier, certainly on our our show planning call, was about Wilbur Ross, our Commerce Secretary, saying today that the deadly coronavirus may hurt the Chinese economy and actually push jobs back to the United States. So it's an intriguing angle. So
1: that's a take.
0: (laughs) That is definitely a take. Uh, Take it as you wish. Uh, Jordan Fabian is White House reporter at Bloomberg News. He's on the phone from our Washington, D.C. bureau. Uh, I got to say, as Jason likes to say, I did not see that coming. Um, (laughs) Tell us a little bit about this.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny, the White House and the Trump administration so far has been very careful in how they've talked about uh, coronavirus and the economic implications it could have in China, uh, and then Wilbur Ross went out this morning and, and said this, uh, this bit about uh, jobs coming back to the United States due to coronavirus, which um, I don't think has really been borne out by either public health officials or economic officials, despite the worries about the impact it could have on the Chinese economy.
3: Is it a little off?
2: certainly and, and you know this the, the, the I think the Trump administration officials officials have tried to stress you know the humanitarian side of this that they're they're trying to help yeah. uh, people in China and also the people here in the United States who've been affected by this this illness and, and then to have Wilbur Ross come out and say well you know the silver lining is that the United States might get more jobs uh, was was a bit jarring to hear certainly
0: And he did say, first of all, every American's heart has to go out to all the victims of the coronavirus. I don't want to talk about a victory lap over all of this, but still it is kind of interesting yeah
1: it absolutely it is. is and so Jordan I mean obviously the the politics are complicated here in part because of everything that's been going on between the US and China over the last couple of years the trade agreement and you know this relationship that usually seems friendly but sometimes it isn't between President Trump and, and President Xi put this latest incident or this latest uh, challenge I guess in the broader context for us
2: Right, and that's why that's what part of what made uh, Wilbur Ross's comments even more head-scratching was other U.S. officials have used the offers of assistance uh, by the United States to China to emphasize that the relationship is getting better since the signing of the Phase One trade deal, and we're really trying to help them out. I was talking to Larry Kudlow earlier today at the White House, and he, and he emphasized that point. That, you know, we're supposed to be sending uh, medical experts there through the World Health Organization to, to help the experts on the ground there. So to say, uh, you know, to have someone like Wilbur Ross come out and then emphasize that economic conflict between uh, the two world's largest economies in the context of this disease uh, was a little off for sure.
0: Michelle Cortez, also with us, health science and medical technology reporter at Bloomberg News, uh, on the phone from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, if I pull up uh, the menu here on the Bloomberg terminal, Michelle, there's a lot of stories. World Health Organization, Jordan just mentioned, they've been holding a briefing. We've had the U.S. concerning its first human transmission case of the virus. Tell us kind of where we are. What do we know about um, you know, where we are in terms of the spread of this?
4: So what we know is that things are still very bad in China. It is spreading quickly and sickening people there at a very steady and high rate. But we're also starting to see the virus break out into other places in the world. As you mentioned, we have our first human-to-human transition in, um, or it's human-to-human infection in the Illinois patient who passed it along to her husband. We're seeing it in Japan where some people who have come out of of Wuhan are infected and it is just now starting to you know just we're starting to see little trickles in other parts of the world
1: and so jordan given what michelle just said how does that sort of further complicate the the political stance for for the administration and and even the policy stance i guess for what the u.s has to do
2: uh, well, I, the line coming from the White House is that uh, they're, they're trying to put coronavirus in, in a box, basically, that uh, they're not viewing this through the prism of the economic conflict or through uh, this conflict over Huawei that we're seeing right now, uh, where there's a lot of tension between the U.S. and its allies. Um, they're saying we're doing this for purely humanitarian reasons. Uh, of course, there could be some you know, logistical impediments to that, like, uh, like Michelle just mentioned, but uh, the, the, so far the messaging coming out of the administration is that they're uh, putting all of their, their differences aside to try and
0: help.
4: Yeah, we I are do actually about the a little bit, right?
0: Oh, go ahead, Michelle. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry to jump go in ahead, there,
4: Michelle. but yeah, we see Barbara Ross say that, um, that you know, that, that the U.S. might have some benefit from this situation in right. China, that we might see some manufacturing and whatnot come back to the United States. And that is entirely possible as you see, you know, China shut down literally. The whole country is starting to wall itself off to try to keep this this pandemic inside its walls and to the detriment of their economy but um we'll see how that plays out
0: right jordan you as you mentioned earlier you talked about that too uh you know what wilbur ross had to say uh you mentioned larry Kudlow catching up with him i do wonder what else you're hearing about the conversations within the white house about concerns about whether or not they're really being kept completely in the loop about how bad it's getting in china
2: yeah so they they so publicly they haven't uh they haven't gone into depth on that uh, I know that uh they're they're stressing they're trying to be as transparent as as they can be with the information they have uh, but one of the big debates they're having right now is you know whether to uh mandate that flights going in and out of china are shut down, whether that's going to come from the government. And right. the latest line is, you know, that is going to be a decision left up to the airlines, uh, and, and right mm. now the U.S. government is not going to mandate one way or the other, but uh, it's something they're keeping a close eye on. And that will, of course, depend on what kind of information they're getting from the Chinese.
1: Of course, right. Well, a good update. Thank you so much. Jordan Fabian, uh, our White House reporter joining us from Washington. And. Bloomberg News health reporter Michelle Cortez joining us from Minneapolis, both of them following this story very closely. All right, so it's pretty nice weather for a drive here in Miami. So let's talk cars with a guy who is not so much in the sun. He's in Detroit, but he's in charge of the place. (laughs) David Welch, Detroit Bureau Chief for Bloomberg, joins us on the phone. Uh, So, a lot of talk down here, David, and you know it better than we do about actually EVs, battery powered cars, uh, making some debuts and uh, making some noise or lack thereof. What are you hearing?
5: So uh, for the Super Bowl, uh, we're going to see a
1: few EVs
5: popping out on screen. Uh, And look, this is interesting. This is more than regular Super Bowl advertising, I think. You have three major companies putting out EVs that will actually exist and be sold as opposed to corporate brand and image messaging and that sort of thing. Why is that significant? Because... The major automakers didn't really want to sell their electric vehicles—at least not in big numbers—up uh, until recently. They they wanted to sell just enough to meet clean air rules. Uh, but if they sold many more than that, they were they were just compound losses because the cars all lost money. But now they actually want to uh, try to compete with Tesla and put out some electric cars that that people want to buy
1: in big numbers. And you're going to see Porsche do it. You're well, going to and- see Audi, and you'll see General Motors with an electric Hummer. All right, so tell us about the Tesla effect here, because obviously we've been talking a ton about Tesla, especially today, yeah. after those you know blockbuster numbers yesterday. So that's where the pressure is coming from, and obviously consumers are, are really clamoring for this, apparently.
5: Yeah, Tesla really captured the imagination by making cool cars that happened to be electric. Before that, you had cars like the Chevy Bolt, the Nissan Leaf, and te- Tesla actually preceded some of those. But I'd say the Nissan Leaf was the first really big one. Um, you know, it, it's just a hatchback, it's a compact same thing with the, the Chevy Bolt and Americans hate hatchbacks and they hate compacts. Uh, the, the vehicles were basically <laughs> to get the technology on the road to meet regulations, but they weren't anything you know, really in the wheelhouse of the American consumer. Tesla came out with fast luxury sedans, a Roadster first actually, but the Model S really put it on the map. It was a car that would compete with something like a Mercedes E-Class something that was pretty cool Then they came out with a Model 3, smaller version of the S, really, and now they have a crossover SUV coming. These are are vehicles that, at the times they were launched, at least, uh, and and still now, are are things that consumers in the U.S. really want to buy. And they proved you could do it, and they're getting pretty close to proving you can consistently make money on them. And and that dragged all the major automakers kicking and screaming into not just saying, oh, nobody wants EVs, so we'll do one, That's kind of a science project, and leave it at that. Now they have to do it because Tesla's a real force. They're stealing market share, and they're proving it can be done.
0: Right. So let's talk the fun stuff. So we're going to see a lot of ads during the Super Bowl, right? We've already talked to um, Klaus Zelmer over Porsche North America. They've got a big ad. I think it's their first time that they've done this. The Heist. Called The Heist. Um, Who else did we talk to that has, I thought, a big ad coming up? doing the Super Bowl. Well, anyway. Hard Rock. Hard Rock. Thank you very much. They're first, right? right. In terms of the brand. Um, but there's a lot in terms of the big automakers. So LeBron James is in one. What are we what are we really right. waiting LeBron for? We is, uh, LeBron
5: is LeBron is going to be in an in a General Motors ad where they're going to show us the electric Hummer uh, which we broke last June. The GM was working on an electric Hummer, but they're bringing the brand back kind of. You're not going to see Hummer dealerships in a full line, but it's basically going to be sold by GMC. But it'll be a militaristic-looking uh, Hummer uh, pickup truck, and uh, LeBron James will be in one of the ads for it. I think they're going to have three. Porsche has one called Heist, and they've got the, they've got a bunch of Porsche vehicles in there, but the Taycan kind of leads the, the, this race through the city of Stuttgart. Uh, and, and so that is prominently displayed. And then Audi uh, has one with... Uh, and I'm drawing a blank on her name, but the woman who played Arya Stark in Game of Thrones, um, and she is driving an Audi e-tron crossover SUV, which is electric. Maisie so Williams.
0: Maisie Williams, What's up that's with her. You? I know, and I'm a, I was Jeez. a fan of the show
5: too, and I was, I'm a fan of her. I um, okay. Happens <laughs> to all of
0: us.
1: <laughs> Sometimes Carol she forgets be my name. Don't worry about it, David. <laughs> She'll be <laughs> there singing. You go. And, uh, all right,
5: you'll well. See, you'll see this car driving with a bunch of sooty. Gas-powered vehicles all around it uh, and making this statement that her car is the cool one.
1: All right. We're going to be it. looking forward to seeing all that. Great context, as always. David Welch, our Detroit Bureau Chief, joining us on the phone from that much chillier city. You are listening to Bloomberg Businessweek. Jason Kelly, Carol Master here in Miami. And despite all the hubbub and the excitement about the game, certainly... This health crisis, now officially a global health emergency, uh, according to the WHO, of the coronavirus, it is looming over all of this. So let's get into the economics of it. Our team back in New York, the dream team, as it were, Peter Coy, economics editor for Bloomberg Business Week, and Joel Weber, the editor of the magazine, they're both there. Gentlemen, thank you for being with us. So, Peter, I want to start with you. How do you read where we are now from an economic lens or through an economic lens?
6: Well, this news today does not change, of course, the likelihood of the disease spreading. It it may, on the margins, give some airlines, um, other companies pause about uh, doing business with China. It may make it easier for other countries to put restrictions on travel to China, travel from China, more like it. Um, So, on the margin, I think it's probably a positive for arresting the course of the disease. The fact that the WHO did not do it until now tells you that there are also downsides to it. First of all, of course, there's the harm to China from being cut off from the rest of the world. And then global commerce is affected in a negative way as well. Whenever uh, you have restrictions on people being able to travel, do business with each other, it's going to be a hit to uh, global GDP.
7: And we'll talk
1: about so this. So I was interested. Yeah, there's Go this ahead. thing
7: in this in, in your story that, that we put out yesterday um, about the number one. Yes. Can you talk to yeah. us about what the, the meaning of the one. number one means? It's a
6: threshold yeah. between two things that can happen. They talk about the basic reproductive rate of a uh, infection like this. If it's above one, it means that for each person who's infected, that person will... In fact, more than one other person. If it's below one, in fact, less than one other person. If it's below one, the disease will dry up, go away. If it's and we are not there right now. Not yet. It's still above one now. But uh, the history of every pandemic in the history of our species is that eventually it does go below one. And why does that happen? Well. Obviously, a vaccine can help, but it's not always a vaccine. For example, in this case, it looks like they're talking about months or maybe a year or more before there would be a vaccine for this. So that we can't be sitting around waiting for that. You've got to be thinking about public health measures, uh, simple things like washing your hands, know, maybe covering your face, um, staying away from people who are sick, isolating people who are sick. Um, maybe,
7: maybe millions of them. Well,
6: in that case, in the case of a quarantine, you're not isolating only the people who are sick. Isolating the people who are well, yep. and that's what really makes a quarantine yep. like that different from an isolation, and is an extreme measure. People say that never in history has such a large population been quarantined as is happening today in China.
7: What was interesting about that too, though, was like the and we talked about this a little bit earlier was. That you know, the message went out that the quarantine was coming, and people got out in advance of
6: it in Wuhan. Something like five million or so uh, people from the city said, "Okay, get out while the getting is good," which of course backfires because now some of them probably were sick, right. and they're no longer in a place where they can be uh, taken care of and, and isolated.
7: Uh, Jason, are you are you guys um, eyeing that cruise ship? That would not be a place that I would want to be right now. Is on a cruise ship. This is of course well, the one absolutely off well and. It- <laughs>
1: And I'm glad you asked that, Joel, because we sat down yesterday with the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Lines, and he was pointing out, and this was obviously before the news broke, about the Carnival Cruise Line Correct. over in Italy. Right. Um, but, you know, he was pointing out that from a business perspective, they have, I believe he said, less than 1% or maybe yeah. less than one-tenth of 1% you know- of their traffic or of their customers come from China, and they have no... Chinese routes.
0: So unlike some of the other cruise ship lines, um, whether it's Carnival and some others who have been looking at the Chinese market in terms of growth, this is not something, that's not a market they've really been uh, working into. But what's interesting about that Carnival story, and I think there was a, another headline that came out that said that one individual that they were concerned about has tested negative yes. for the virus. But you are talking about 7,000 people in one location and we know, we all know the stories about when a virus hits a cruise ship, it just you know tears through everyone. Um, to think about even the possibility of that happening It's just a reminder that we, do, we still don't know what we don't know About this virus and the spreading of
6: it Hey Carol, I got a, st- a little bit of trivia for you Where does the word quarantine Ooh. come from? It comes from the word quaranta Which is Italian that for 40 Italian. Yeah. Which is the number of days uh-huh. that ships were required to stay in the harbor Before sailors could get off If there was a suspicion that somebody on board had the plague Someone did their homework Hey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, how this about like, that? This
0: is why I like reading, like, you know, historical fiction. That is like it. Because a, you find out about things like smallpox, right? And, and what they, yeah. where they would, like, burn a complete ship. But I would also was, call
1: that, like, I, I feel like we could have a book of, Coy. of coyisms. you You know, like, like a treasure. I know. Treasure of exactly. Bloomberg. So wait, there's exactly. another, totally
6: there's another line
7: uh, I want to talk about in Peter's story, because he said uh, mm. viruses are actually dumb.
6: Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. They're, they're not yeah. even smart yeah, enough to reproduce on their own. They require the host <laughs> cell that they invade to, uh, do, to do their reproduction. Yeah. And, and yet evolution, for all of its mechanical right. routinists, the fact that it's purely random and unthinking, is diabolically clever just because of, as Charles Darwin said, the survival of the fittest. You, you, you throw a bunch of crazy random mutations... Out and say ninety-nine and a half percent of them will just die because they're, they're they fail, but the ones that succeed will be even more lethal, more likely to spread. Well, not necessarily well, more lethal. That's well, I shouldn't say that because sometimes they won't be lethal, but they will spread. Yeah. yeah be effective. Well, I'd love to, speaking
0: of great lines, they evolve viruses. They evolve to thwart every weapon against them. And that's part of the problem, right? Just when you figure out one virus, you know, there's a new strain or it just mutates and it's a little bit different.
1: So Joel, without giving too much secret planning away, I mean, how do you look at a story like this? Because it obviously crosses economic, political, financial markets, technology all of it how are you getting your arms around it at the magazine right now i mean
7: we're just uh, I, you know anything we have that feels uh like insightful and newsworthy we are just we just move it like it's news and you know peter, yeah. peter uh yesterday mike reagan yesterday so uh, but that you know it's always about how, how can we attempt to take a story forward and make it a yeah. business story right and like so there's the right there's the global health version of this but there's also the business element to it and i think we're we're still kind of wrestling with what the what that impact is actually going to look like yeah and and, you know from an eco standpoint we're just beginning to see what some of those numbers look like
6: right
1: all right well as a wise man once said that wise man was you every story is a business story all right joel weber (laughs) editor of bloomberg business week thank you so much peter coy economics editor always love catching up with you, your takes, your coyisms are a treasure, as Carol said, a treasure. national treasure. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week live in Miami. Jason Kelly and Carol Massa were here at the Miami Beach Convention Center just a couple days ahead of the big game. But on Saturday, there's going to be something else announced, something that is really important to a lot of the players and former players and a lot of fans yeah, as well. Absolutely. It's the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. We've got a nominee here with us. That is Devon Kennard. He plays linebacker for the Detroit Lions. For those of our New York listeners, you might remember him during his tour in our fair city with the Giants. Devon, great to have you.
8: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: All right, so let's talk about the Man of the Year Award. Uh, That, I mean, Walter Payton embodied so many things, and I think is one of just the those figures in the NFL that will live forever in many ways. What does it mean to be nominated for
8: this? Uh, you know, it's truly an honor for me. You know, I think of um, Walter Payton and just to have my name mentioned alongside his. And then I look at a lot of the guys who've been nominated and who won this award in the past. And it's just truly an honor. And I feel humbled to be in this position. And, um, you know, I, I just want to shed light on the things that, on the organizations that I work with, um, you know, off the field and, and, um, you know, bring awareness to that.
1: So, tell us about some of
8: those. Um, you know, a big organization I work with in Detroit is the, um, the Midnight Golf Program, and it's an after-school program for um, high school seniors, and it helps them with the transition to college. So, you're talking about inner-city kids who, you know, are working hard in school and they're trying to put themselves in position, but, you know, it might be first-generation college student, students, so parents didn't didn't go to college, so they don't know about SATs, ACTs, applying for loans, applying for college, you know, and um, it's a mentorship program that walks them through every step of the way um, when it comes to those things. And, you know, they take tours and they visit colleges all around Detroit, but also um, they take a trip, you know, out of the state as well mm-hmm. so they can see a, a school out of the state. And it just really provides uh, these kids an opportunity to, to realize that they can accomplish their dreams.
0: Right. You can't go after something if you don't even know what you're supposed to go after, right?
8: Exactly. Tell
0: me about some of the stories, I mean, and some of the things that you've um, seen happen as a result of that.
8: You know, for me, it, um I created a scholarship fund where I started offering scholarship uh, scholarship and I asked the kids to to choose a book that they read because I really enjoy reading and I try to promote that um, with kids to choose a book that they've read recently and tell me the impact that it had on their lives and um, you know what they took from it and some of the responses and hearing some of these kids stories and what they've gone through or what they're going through and you um, You know their perseverance to get to this point in their life and um you know it's just really been been motivating and i'm going to give those kids opportunity oftentimes kids like that just need uh, more opportunities and uh that's what i want to help provide them
1: all right got to ask you about the game on sunday you know you know all about a lot of quarterbacks and trying to get to them how do you get to mahomes (laughs) what's Uh, his weakness
8: I mean, you definitely got to make him uncomfortable. You want him to stay in the pocket, actually. Yeah. He's not a guy. He's a guy. If Once you start, he's cut
1: loose. You want, yeah. If
8: you start letting him extend plays and running all over the field, uh, that's where guys like Kelsey or some of their explosive uh, receivers, you know, get deep and, and he could he hail it. So, I, I mean, I think it starts with trying to keep him in the pocket um, and – uh, that's a big thing San Fran's going to have to do. They have great pass rushers all over the field, but it's going to have to be a good balance of going and hunting them, but also, you know, keeping your rush lanes and not, not letting him extend plays and get those explosives.
0: What's harder, going uh, against a passing team like Kansas City or uh, a running team like San Francisco?
8: Um, I think they, it can both be challenging you know i i'd say you got to make a team one dimensional because um, if it, when you're playing good quarterbacks with both which uh you know both of these teams have yeah, yeah then if they can run the ball and throw the ball then you're in trouble you know so i think every game plan starts with stopping the run and making the team one dimensional but you know when you do that against a kansas city for instance you know um you got to stop the run, and then once you stop the run, now it's like, all right, you got a whole other beast on your hands because now he's going to be, you know, trying to sling that thing around. So. All
1: right, for our uh, New York fans, what's it like playing in Detroit versus New York? And I should point out, you had a good moment, I believe, this year where uh, you had a big play uh, against your former team, right?
8: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, playing playing in New York, I enjoyed my time there. I'll never never speak it um, ill on it you know that's the team that drafted me yeah. gave me an opportunity but you know um, going to Detroit they, they put me in a position and gave me opportunity uh, to do what I'm best at and I, you know I feel like I've excelled and, and have been improving these last two seasons and uh, you know I'm ready to work hard and get ready to take the next step.
0: So you're not going to say which is your favorite? No. <laughs> I grew well, up. I, I grew up going to the Giants. So I'm just telling you. Well, actually, in. I gotta I gotta say
8: Detroit now. am yeah, that's that's playing it. right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So, I wise think man. Wise I think man. That's an easy. Uh, that's uh, an easy answer. We go, go ahead. ahead. No. Well,
0: I was gonna say we had a conversation earlier and we were talking about diversity, uh, certainly among the coaching staff. Um, how do we improve that in the NFL? Um,
8: I think just giving more guys opportunities and um, you know like. I think that we're gonna start seeing that more and more. I think we have a woman coach in the yeah. Super Bowl. That's we pre- do. that's pretty For awesome. We do San Francisco. Um, and I think I think it's um, happening slowly, but um, slowly but surely. But I think is uh, we're gonna start seeing more and more of. Of you know diversity in, in multiple ways in, in professional football. It
1: sounds like, and we were talking with Jerome Bettis earlier, yeah. and this was a long conversation we had with him. It sounds like more and more players are sort of agitating for for this. the players feel sort of emboldened and empowered to to speak up about this issue. Do you think that's fair?
8: Uh, I, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, you want you want coaches with different experiences yeah. and, totally. and different backgrounds and things like that, and and uh, who can connect or relate with players in a different way. So I, th- I think that's healthy. Kansas right.
0: City. 49ers. Just got five seconds. Make the call. <laughs> I'm
8: going to go. I like defense. I like San Fran.
1: All right. Good job. All right. On, Devon Kennard, thank, thank you so much. Good luck on Saturday. He is a nominee for the Walter Good Payton Man yeah. of the Year Award. Nice honor. I'm driving in my car. Turn on the radio. How about you let me drive?
5: Oh, no. No, no, no.
1: Who's going to drive
5: you home?
0: it is time for the drive to the close on this thursday carol master along with jason kelly we are live in miami site of the upcoming super bowl back with us so delighted we've been excited about getting a chance to talk to him Uh, ross gerber is back with us he is of course the ceo at gerber kawasaki wealth management uh, and he joins us here uh, on the phone from santa monica california so ross Tesla, it's pretty yeah. much holding up near its highs of the session, just off. It's up about 11%, man. I am still kind of blown away about what the stock has done this year. You <laughs> yeah. own a Tesla or maybe two. I can't remember at this no, point. No, I own one Tesla. am waiting you, for
3: the Model Y. You, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which is
1: now coming faster than we thought. So let's start there. I mean, we've now got a company... And listen, I'm telling you stuff you already know that seems to be exceeding expectations, getting right. things faster,
3: uh, that
1: which is was not the story a couple of years ago.
3: That's right. And you know, one of the things that when Tesla was going through sort of its hard time, I reached out to the company and, and spoke very much about Elon not using his personal projections as Wall Street projections. And basically right. I call it Elon plus six months. So I was like, you know, you've got to take Elon and then add six months to whatever he says, and that way he'll beat expectations, like just follow what Tim Cook does every quarter, you know. And, and Tesla started adopting that type of philosophy towards giving guidance, and now they're beating all their guidance, and everybody's like, oh, my God. And so, you know, I think a lot of it was just communicating correctly with the street and the public about what was really going to happen versus what was the best-case scenario, you know.
0: So when you look at the financials, so we're talking about a company that, what, in 2020, looking at maybe $32 billion in revenue, and yet what are we looking at? The market cap is about $116 billion, right? We talked about it, right. you know, pushing back through that $100 billion mark. I mean, do the metrics add up to you? Um, will the growth rates get us to a point that that uh, market cap makes sense to you, Ross? Well, yeah, I, I
3: think there's two ways to look at valuations. The... the sort of the lesser intelligent ways is comparing it to peers like Netflix, where Netflix trades at a $120 billion multiple with $20 billion in revenue, losing $3 billion in cash every year. Now you've got Tesla doing $25 billion in revenue, not losing cash, gaining cash, and has a way better product and more exciting future than Netflix, which now has like 18 competitors. So, so certainly Netflix should be worth less than Tesla. Um, and that's a comparative. The, the more, you know, fundamental analysis, it, you know, now that we can sort of assign what can Tesla do profit-wise over the next couple of years, it's much easier to get your arms around a valuation like $100 billion. So, you know, at, at 30 or $35 billion in revenue, and, you know, they're now in a position to make billions of dollars in profit. But I think the market is looking at their moat and saying, boy... There is nobody even close to Tesla. And this is what we've been saying the whole time. But now that the competitors have come out and failed, it's like, oh, now we're going to give Tesla a premium. And it deserves a premium, well, and although it's a big one now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, wait, wait, wait. So I have to ask you. So does that mean you're selling some of your stocks because it is at such a premium at this point? Yeah, Are you, back you your know, or have I, I, you. I,
3: I did and, and, and I and I did tweet about it and I got kinda hammered a little bit from my Tesla friends but because What people, people my, on Twitter opinion. had opinions about Tesla? What <laughs> yeah. Elon Well, you know, you? I'm I'm head of the bull charge here, so you know, I I was explaining to them the concept yeah, of profit taking. You know, I'm a portfolio manager for thousands of clients with over a billion dollars, it's a different position than when you just have, you know, sort of like I have my, you know, 50 shares of Tesla and that's my net worth. And so, you know, for a lot of our clients, this has been a huge winner, and we have to rebalance because now Tesla is our largest position at the firm, and, and it shouldn't be, you know, 8% of an, an right. older person's portfolio. So it has nothing to do with my opinion of the company, but it's prudent, and we've taken some profits. And, and I'm, I actually, right before the, this interview, just in full disclosure, was taking some profits. And, you know, right. it, our position's huge, and, and, you know, we just have to be prudent.
1: Right. Yeah. So, Ross, I want to go back to something you, you were talking about vis-a-vis competitors, because we were talking with our Detroit Bureau chief, David Welch, who I'm sure you've talked to before, know his work.
4: Love and David he was talking Jacob. about,
1: you know, Carol. Yeah. Exactly. That's and so guy. smart about the whole auto industry. And, you know, here Carol are, Carol and I are. We're in Miami. We're going to be watching Carol the game. I'm really jealous, Actually, by the way. I'm really M. jealous. Exactly. It's a lot
0: of fun. We wish you were here. Yeah, we wish you were
1: here. I Uh, wish I was there. But you know, I love Miami. (laughs) (laughs) You're gonna have some ads coming out on Sunday. You know, you got Audi, you've got Porsche, you've got GM via uh, Hummer with some EVs. These guys certainly, as you said, are playing catch up. How much do you worry that they can? get there maybe faster than anticipated because they do you know these are big companies or is that their
3: undoing well the big companies are not the ones we're actually worried about we actually think they're most behind. interesting um, so when you look at who ups is investing in or amazon's investing in with companies like rivian so our position is that if a company isn't all-in with EVs, they're just not going to be successful with it. And what we've seen with the other competitors is they, like, stick their toe in and put in sort of a substandard EV out because even though the take end is a beautiful car and performs well, its actual EV performance is pathetic. And so it's like when you look at the new 911, like, why wouldn't I just buy a new 911? It's cheaper and it's a better car, actually. So they're not really trying to sell EVs. They're just giving you an option. And I think that approach is failing, like, miserably. So, so we don't see any competition for Tesla other than a few companies like in China, oh. which are doing some stuff that, that's interesting. But, but Tesla now is so far ahead of the competition, I really can't think right. of any other business like this where everybody else is so far behind. It kind of reminds me of the cab companies versus Uber and Lyft, you know? Like, the cab companies still don't have an app, you know? It's like, hello?
0: Right. Hey, listen. Just thirty seconds. You got to be quick for us. Um, Tesla is expecting a production delay in China. Concerns, right. obviously connected, maybe with the virus here. Right. Um, could that be problematic? Just quickly.
3: Yes, it's problematic for almost every company in America. We're taking risk off. Everything the Chinese are saying is a lie. It's a hundred times worse than what they're reporting, and it's got. They're gonna. They've shut the whole country down. So this is gonna have a dramatic right. impact short term, and hopefully they solve this as rapidly as possible.
1: All right. Ross Gerber, thank you so much. CEO at Gerber, Kawasaki Wealth Management, doing a little bit of a Tesla victory lap with us here on Bloomberg Radio. Much more to come from Miami. But
0: he makes a point when you see the stock run up as a responsible portfolio manager, you're going to have to take some profits. profits. Why wouldn't you?
1: Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.